Alcohol consumption has been a perennial problem. But recently, the economic downturn, uh, combined with rises in alcohol taxation, seems to have stemmed the rise in alcohol-related deaths, in England and Wales at least. I'm Duncan Jarvis, uh, multimedia editor for the BMJ, and I'm joined by Nick Sharon, head of clinical hepatology at Southampton University, who's also one of the authors of an analysis on the BMJ.com, which sets out to track the effect these economic ha- factors have on alcohol-related deaths. Nick, you say in your paper that there's this link between alcohol consumption and price. We know that. So what is your article actually setting out to prove? I think there are two parts to the answer to that question. The first is that there is a link between um, overall levels of alcohol-related harm and uh, overall levels of alcohol consumption. And that's a straightforward thing, really, because all the harms associated with alcohol are dose-responsive at an individual level. Um, For some health harms, the the dose-response is a linear relationship. It's a straight line starting from zero, so that would be true for alcohol-related cancer, for example. Um, For some health harms, uh, for example, liver disease, the relationship is exponential, so the risk gradually increases the more you drink. And and the impact of that is that the majority of deaths from alcohol-related liver disease occur in very heavy drinkers, the people who are at the steep end of the curve. If something is dose-responsive at an individual level, then it clearly has to be dose-responsive at a population level. Um, and there's a whole you know, bunch of uh, publications and expert reviews, Academy of Medical Sciences, the World Health Organization, the European Commission, most recently the uh, uh, OECD, um, confirm this relationship, uh, uh, dose-response relationship between overall levels of population alcohol consumption and alcohol-related harm. We also know that population-level alcohol consumption is determined by a number of factors, um, but probably the most important is the price of alcohol. So if you put the price up, consumption goes down. If you put the price down, consumption goes up. And that um, uh, is... Uh, the metric for that is something called elasticity. And for example, the UK Treasury calculate and publish the elasticities from alcohol. So they know exactly how much alcohol consumption is going to change in response to, for example, any tax increase. And they factor that change in consumption into the revenue calculations for that tax increase. So therefore, sorry, therefore, the price of alcohol is strongly linked to levels of alcohol-related harm at a population level. Now, as you said, different levels of drinking are associated with different harms. Do we know how the price affects people within those those different levels, either the moderate or the the problem drinkers? Yeah, I mean that's a very, very that's a very um, interesting question, uh, and and uh, the data on it is not absolutely clear. Um, so, on the one hand. Um, clearly, the more alcohol you're drinking, the more likely you are, the more sensitive you are going to be to the price because it's a bigger outlay, you know, in terms of week to week. Against that, people say, well, hang on a minute. Um, people with alcohol dependency, surely they are going to be less responsive to price. And actually, um, it's very difficult to to give a, a proper answer to that because very few studies of elasticity are done in very, very heavy drinkers. Okay, so there's a sort of data gap. However, um, when you're looking at alcohol-related mortality, you are effectively looking at a metric which, which 
shows you how much these people are drinking. So when you're looking at changes in alcohol-related harm, then in fact, and in fact, that's actually a metric for the levels of consumption in the, in, the, in that group. Um, so what our paper shows is, re is really it shows you how responsive those very heavy drinkers are to changes in price. And the reason for that is is quite simple. It's because my patients with liver disease, on average, they're drinking the equivalent of four or five bottles of vodka a week, 120 to 150 units, and they're spending a very, very large percentage, if not all of their free disposable income on alcohol. And they're also drinking the cheapest alcohol it's possible to find. So, for example, at the moment, the cheapest alcohol you can buy in the UK is about 15 pence a unit for you know three-litre bottles of very strong cider. You can therefore imagine the impact of a minimum unit price at 60 pence. Suddenly, the amount that they pay for alcohol doesn't go up by 4%. It goes up fourfold. You know, that's going to have a very, very significant level uh, impact on their consumption because they simply, they're already purchasing as much alcohol as they can. So, um, so yes, we know about elasticities. Yes, we can calculate elasticities of different bands of drinkers, and the Sheffield Group have done that and published on it extensively. Um, and what our publication is doing is showing you the actual behavior uh, in terms of mortality um, of people who are actually suffering from alcohol-related harm. In the UK, anyway, we're used to hearing the government include some changes on VAT and alcohol in the annual budget. Um, and your analysis looks at what some of these government-imposed changes have had. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. If I could put that into some context, if you go back to 1980, um, we've had a massive increase in alcohol-related harm. So, so liver, liver mortality, alcohol mortality has gone up approximately fourfold uh, and the question then is well how you know what what's what's been driving that that change in alcohol related harm um, and if you look at crude levels of overall alcohol consumption then that has gone up over that period of time but it's gone up by nothing like a fourfold increase but the reason for that is because there have been very significant changes in the way we drink alcohol in the UK so first of all, where we drink alcohol has changed dramatically. In 1980, most alcohol was drunk in pubs, and most of it was drunk as relatively weak beer, you know, draft beer at sort of 3.54%. Now, the vast majority of alcohol is bought from supermarkets and off-licenses to be consumed at home, and the type of alcohol that we're drinking has changed. So there's been a huge decrease in the consumption of relatively weak beer. And because that was a, such a huge segment of the market, that's had a big, big impact on overall levels of alcohol consumption. But if you look at the consumption of the types of alcohol that my patients with cirrhosis drink, which is cheap cider, spirits, and increasingly wine, particularly amongst women wine, and if it's beer, it's not draft bitter, it's cans of strong lager, you know, 5% and above, then the, the consumption of those much stronger alcohols has actually gone up and that consumption absolutely maps the three- to four-fold increase in alcohol-related mortality. So that's the first thing. The context of what we're drinking is very important. And then if you look at the, the other main change, which is why have those levels of consumption gone up? Why are we drinking far more spirits and far more wine than we used to? And the answer, again, is quite straightforward because successive governments since 1980, have reduced the relative rate of alcohol taxation. So in 1980, alcohol tax 
was about 4% of the total tax budget, or about 1.2% of GDP. Successive, uh, the failure to keep taxation up with increasing incomes has meant that now alcohol tax is around about 2% of total taxation, or around about 0.6% of GDP. So alcohol as a result has become much more affordable and the stronger alcohols have become much more affordable than weak beer. And when you track, and the graphs that we, that we show in the paper, which I can describe, essentially show uh, an increase in liver mortality. And that increase in liver mortality is almost exactly tracks the changes in affordability of the different types of alcohol. So that's what was happening up until 2008, and overall alcohol-related deaths. And when I say alcohol-related deaths, by the way, I'm talking about directly attributable alcohol mortality. So those are alcohol-related deaths that essentially would have the word alcohol on the death certificate. And so they're easy to track and easy to monitor. Um, most alcohol-related cancers, we don't know that the, this A-specific cancer is alcohol-related and so therefore alcohol doesn't appear on the death certificate and we can't track those trends. They're what's called partially attributable mortality. Um, since 2008, there's been a huge change in the affordability of alcohol because uh, the government introduced, as you say, a 2% above inflation escalator, and that meant we now had a big inflection, a gradual increase in affordability changed, and, and, and alcohol became less affordable or more expensive. At almost exactly the same time, the 8% increase in alcohol-related mortality stopped, it leveled off, and started to fall. And that's what's been happening in the six successive budgets since 2008, where uh, alcohol has become relatively more expensive for the first time in decades, really. That occurred at around about the same time, 2008, as the economic recession, and that also had an impact on people's incomes. So that also affected the affordability of alcohol. But when we compare the two factors, then the change in taxation is roughly five times more important than the change uh, in people's incomes. So two things to add that have come out since the, since the paper was, you know, has been through the system. The first is that we make a prediction that now the duty escalator has been repealed um, uh, and the recession is over, that we would anticipate that liver deaths would start to increase. And in fact, the data released in November showed that that has now started to happen. So we're going to have to wait for some more data points in future years, but it looks extremely likely that the prediction that we made is going to come true. And the second thing that I think people don't realize is the degree to which the government have given, if you like, tax cuts to the drinks industry. So if we go back to what I was saying earlier about the level of alcohol taxation back in 1980, about, around about 4% of taxation or 1.2% of GDP, it's now half that. It's worth, it's worth also saying that the overall societal cost of alcohol to UK PLC, according to the Department of Health, is 1.3% of GDP according to the OECD, is 2.6% of GDP, and the impact of that for each taxpayer in the UK is between £9 and £25 pounds a week, so a lot of money. If the government had kept alcohol tax at the same level as they did in 1980, then right now they would be raising an additional £8 billion pounds a year in taxation. Now, you think about the black hole in NHS funding. That's the amount of money they're currently essentially giving away in tax cuts to the drinks industry. And if you add all of those, all of those, uh, uh, those tax deficits up since 1980, then it comes to an almost unbelievable sum 
of £218 billion. So, you know, these are very, very significant amounts of money that, you know, the government have chosen to give back to, to, to the drinks industry. Now, we've talked about the influence of money on this, but as you say, um, the way we consume alcohol has changed, and, and that's changed how the drinks industry targets people you know, with different drinks and advertising. So what's going on there? Have you got any data about the effect of you know, industry trying to increase their sales? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's, that's a really interesting question there. If you think about it in terms of what marketeers use to sell a product, then they talk about something called the, the, the four P's, which are price, promotion, products, and place of sale. And all of those P's have changed. So place of sale, the numbers of licensed premises have increased. This business about pubs shutting is, is just propaganda because for every pub that shuts, someone, another pub opens. So in actual fact, the numbers of pubs and off-license have steadily increased, and they've, and they've never dropped. Um, the product and promotion is really interesting because back, if you go back to the 1990s, uh, if you think, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure when you went to university, but when I went to university, nobody drank spirits. Young people did not drink spirits. It just wasn't something that was done. You know, spirits were, you know, whiskey consumed by 40 and 50 year olds. And in the early 1990s, there actually was a generation of young people who effectively had stopped drinking alcohol for a period of time, probably because they were doing other things. And the drinks industry got very concerned. And what they did was they completely changed the focus of their marketing. So rather than appealing to 45- and 50-year-olds, they're now appealing to 18-year-olds with advertising based around music and clubs and sponsoring pop festivals and all the rest. And they also introduced a brand-new product aimed to get young people drinking spirits, and that was Alcopops. And if you look at the impact on drinking of spirits by children, and we have this data in the paper, then uh, in, in a few years, in the early 1990s, the, the, the amount of spirits or alcopop spirits-based drinks drunk by school children increased fivefold. And then the interesting thing is if you look a few years later as that generation matured, the, uh, the population level consumption of white spirits, Volk, mostly vodka, vodka and gin and uh, rum, uh, doubled. You know, so it had a massive impact. In effect, in effect, that was the creation of a generation of binge-drinking young people drinking spirits, which is, which is what they, you know, they currently drink today. And have you seen an effect on the demographics of the people who are problem drinkers um, and people with alcohol-related uh, health problems? So, so the first thing to say is that, is that uh, liver disease, alcoholic liver disease affects people in their young and middle age. I mean, the average age of death is 50. If you walk around our liver ward, you see people in their 40s and 50s. If you walk around any other ward in the hospital, they're mostly people in their 70s, 80s and older. But the other thing that we've seen over the years is, is it's no longer unusual to get somebody coming in with end-stage alcohol-related cirrhosis in their 30s, and we have a scattering of people in their 20s and even in their early 20s with end-stage liver disease, and we never used to see that in the past. That's completely new. Okay. Now, let's return back to the effect that price has had on mortality. Um, you said that as alcohol becomes less affordable, then there's this immediate decrease in alcohol-related deaths. And I'm just wondering how you, how you attribute that, um, given something like cancer or, or liver disease takes quite a while to actually develop. Yeah, it's surprising, isn't it? 
I think it surprises everybody when they first see the data. So the first thing is to say, well, what are those deaths due to? Well, 80% of those deaths are due to liver disease, and the remaining 20% occur in people with severe alcohol dependency, and they're things like pneumonia or DTs or FITs, which occur as a result of recent drinking. Now, for liver disease, it takes probably takes a minimum of 10 years to get cirrhosis. So you've got to be drinking heavily for a long period of time before you develop cirrhosis, which is the scarring that occurs in the liver as a result of, of you know, in, insult to the liver over a long period of time. However, what kills people with liver disease is not, is not, is not that long-term damage, but is the acute on chronic liver failure that occurs in people with cirrhosis. So people come into hospital with acute alcoholic hepatitis as a result of recent drinking, with acute decompensation of their liver disease as a result of recent drinking, with a variceal hemorrhage due to a recent added increase in portal pressure due to their recent drinking. In other words, it's the recent drinking that's important as a cause of mortality. And for that reason, whenever you see a significant change in population level alcohol consumption, you see an impact on population level mortality almost immediately. So you saw this at the outbreak of the First World War uh, with, with, the, with the legislation that reduced alcohol consumption at that time. You saw it at the outbreak of the Second World War. Perhaps the most dramatic illustration in recent, recent times was in Russia when Gorbachev introduced his alcohol reforms and you saw this dramatic impact in, in alcohol-related mortality from all causes, liver disease, alcohol dependency, alcohol withdrawal, homicides, traffic accidents, the whole lot, and you see the maximum impact on mortality within about 6 to 12 to 18 months. We saw the same thing in Canada when minimum unit price, they've had minimum unit pricing in the uh, government monopoly sales outlets in Canada for 20 years or so. And when they increased the minimum unit price of alcohol by 10% across the board, within six months, you saw a 32% reduction in directly attributable mortality. So this is something that we see time and time and time again, and it absolutely fits the physiology of the disease. Yeah, that is interesting. And I think it's, it's pretty unknown. And it must be one of the few things that the Chancellor can do which has some sort of immediate effect on on public health you're absolutely correct people don't realize it and when you when you have this discussion with sort of politicians it's like well it depends on the politician i have to say but it's like a light coming on because an effective alcohol control strategy will impact on mortality within a single political term and there's practically no other public health measure that will do that now we're talking about directly attributable mortality that's about a quarter of the overall mortality and that other 75%, which is due, for example, to high blood pressure or to cancer, may be less responsive. So high blood pressure almost certainly is just as responsive, strikes, stroke, strokes, for example, from high blood pressure. Um, but we would anticipate that cancers would, be, would have a much longer lag period. A group of politicians who obviously did listen um, to people like you campaigning in this area are in Scotland, and that's where they've introduced a minimum unit price for alcohol um, to try and make it less affordable. Uh, then that decision or that legislation was being challenged in courts by the alcohol industry, and there's been an ongoing process there. So can you give us an update on what's, on what's happening? Yeah, sure. I mean, just to sort of take you back a little bit, um, I, was on, I was on the committee that sort of came up with the idea of MUP in the first place, which is 
shout the, um, the, the Scottish uh, Royal Colleges. And, and, they, and they came up with minimum unit price essentially as a workaround because the Scottish government at that time still doesn't have the power to change the levels of alcohol duty. And so it was like a sort of clever workaround. What they didn't realize at the time, but what has become increasingly clear since, is how exquisitely targeted minimum unit price is at the very, very heavy drinkers. And that's simply because, to go back to my analogy of the very cheap cider at 15 pence a unit, you raise that 15 pence to 60 pence, that has a massive impact on people who drink 7.5% by volume cider, but practically the only people who drink that product are people with severe alcohol dependency. You know, it's just not something that normal people would drink. And so because it's targeted at the cheapest alcohol, it's targeted at the heaviest drinkers, and it doesn't impact at all on somebody buying a pint in a pub because that's already way above the minimum unit price because of all the other add-ons. So that's the first thing to say is it's an exquisitely targeted and hence effective measure. Um, the Scottish government uh, had minimum unit price in their election manifesto, uh, they were uh, voted in with an overwhelming majority uh, and they put the bill through law and the bill has been signed off by the Queen. It is, it is in Scottish law. Um, but they were then, that, that law, uh, which was in an election manifesto, was then challenged by the drinks industry in the Scottish courts. The Scottish courts initially threw out the case, but then the drinks industry appealed. They have an automatic right of appeal in Scotland and it then went to the European Court of Justice in Luxembourg. And their final verdict on that in December of last year was that, uh, yes, to some extent, minimum, minimum unit price could contravene some of the technicalities of, uh, of laws protecting the marketplace. But there is also uh, there's a public health clause, if you like, in European legislation. And if a law is thought to benefit public health, then that outweighs market considerations. And so their verdict was that, Minimum unit price was legal in the EU if a Scottish court found that it was more effective than other measures, for example, fiscal measures. So that's the decision that is currently with the Scottish court, and we're awaiting uh, 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 that hearing. Hmm. And your implication there, saying it's exquisitely targeted at people who are the most problematic drinkers, would seem to imply then that it is more effective than, say, increasing duty. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And in actual fact, that's the mainstay of the European of the Scottish government's case in the EU. It you know, it was no longer about this workaround, which is where the idea came from in the first place, but actually the fact that this is this is, you know, this is a very very uh helpful measure because it targets the problem drinkers and it doesn't impact on people drinking drinking in pubs where alcohol is considerably more expensive. Uh -huh. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that with interest. Professor Nick Sharon, thanks for talking to us today. Uh, you can read more and see some of the striking graphs that Nick mentioned online. Uh, the article is titled Effect of Policy, Economics and the Changing Alcohol Marketplace on Alcohol-Related Deaths in England and Wales. Thanks for listening.